right. You guys might have been expecting a Father's Day sermon. Sorry. Um, I don't really do that here. Um, But this is a good message for dads too, right? I'm a dad. I need this. This is going to be a great sermon series because there is an enemy that we are facing, even if you don't believe in him. Um, Because I think Kaiser Soze was right when he said that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. I think it's true, and there's a lot of people who don't believe in him. You know, in our country, actually the majority of people, 56% at the last study that I saw, 56% actually believe in a real personal supernatural being called the devil. So if you don't believe in him, you're in the minority. And what's even more interesting was you look outside the United States, you know, our church is a really every nation congregation. So when I talk to people in our church from um, African nations or from Central or South America, they're often like, yeah, supernatural forces of darkness are at work all the time. And it's so weird that we don't talk about it more in the United States. They're very aware of it. So if you are in the minority here in the United States that you are too modern to believe in these old myths, um, what I wanna challenge you to do is have an open mind. Okay, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Have an open mind. Let's talk about it. Let's think about it because it is important to know because whether you acknowledge it or not, we are in a spiritual battle against an enemy who wants to destroy us. And if somebody was coming to attack you and destroy you, wouldn't you wanna know and be prepared? I would think so. And in the same way, that's what we should do because I would suggest to you whether you believe in a devil or, or the forces of evil or not, you, we can all acknowledge that there are things that happen in our world that are so evil that they do not make sense by basic human understanding. We, we see that just around us when there's a serial murderer or a rapist, a, a pedophile, or a mass shooter. doesn't make sense why someone could commit such atrocities. Or we look around the world that even right now there is a genocide happening in Myanmar. Or the nation of Russia decides that it's okay to march into the boundaries of a sovereign nation in Ukraine and slaughter people. It doesn't make sense. A lot of people are so modern, they're like, oh, war isn't going to happen so much anymore. Like, no, there is still evil in this world. And it doesn't really make sense by human standards. And even more so than around us, within our own thoughts and minds, we have thoughts sometimes that are so evil The voice speaking to us, you're like, where did that come from? Or we have thoughts about doing things that are so evil you don't even want to share it with your therapist. And if you're thinking, Matt, are you reading my mind? Like, no, every single person has those thoughts. And they don't make sense unless there is evil in this world. One fascinating thing was was when the United States was actually real slow to get into World War II. Very slow. And FDR one time shared about this with a biographer and he said that he was so slow because he did not believe in evil. And when he first started hearing about the things that were happening in the Nazi concentration camps, he thought, no way, that can't be true. That's just propaganda. He didn't believe it. But he actually had to change his beliefs when he realized that someone and an entire nation could be that evil. That there must be things like sin, evil, and the devil. There is an enemy, whether you acknowledge him or not. So I wanna challenge you to have an open mind about it because we all know there are things that might be invisible to the human eye that are real and can harm you. That's why you have a carbon monoxide detector in your house, right? You can't see carbon monoxide, you can't smell it, but enough of it will kill you. Same thing with Satan. 
He's there whether you acknowledge him or not. And he is your enemy and wants to destroy you. So this sermon series is to prepare you for that spiritual battle that is happening around you. So please keep an open mind. Can we do that? And I think this should be especially true if you are a follower of Jesus here today. Um, because as Archibald Brown, one British preacher once said, the existence of the devil is so clearly taught in the Bible that to doubt it is to doubt the Bible itself. It's all over the place. And in fact, Jesus talked about the devil maybe more than anything else in the entire Bible. By one estimate, 25% of his entire ministry was dealing with the devil, demons, teaching on it and casting them out. And 25 different times, if you count them up throughout the Gospels, Jesus taught specifically on the devil and the supernatural beings that we call demons. So Jesus taught about it. In fact, we're gonna start today our lesson by looking at what Jesus has to say about Satan so that we are prepared for his schemes. Um, What I wanna warn you guys, there's the first warning that's already been offered, and and C.S. Lewis talks about this um, in the beginning of his Screwtape Letters, which is an awesome book. Uh, I have a list of resources that are linked to on our website. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can find that in today's notes. But in Screwtape Letters, he says, if truth is right driving on a, a straight road, the ditch on one side is to not believe in the devil. Be like, I'm too modern, too scientific. We don't believe in those old myths. That's one uh, ditch that you can fall into and destroy yourself without knowing it. But there's a ditch on the other side too, and the ditch is believing that demons cause everything, okay? But it wasn't Satan who burned your toast this morning, right, okay? Uh, Satan isn't the cause of everything. The devil didn't make you do everything, okay? Maybe you were just dumb, right? So that's another ditch. So I do not want people in here now obsessing about Satan and demon all the time, okay? I don't want you to fall into that ditch either. But we need to stay in the middle to to see what the truth that God has for us in his word that impacts us for today. Because Satan is our enemy and he's smart. I, I would say this, that you are not smarter than Satan. You're not. And we actually need to learn about the ways that he operates in our world and in our minds. And that's what this series is about. This concept of Satan's schemes, the title comes from two different passages of scripture. The first one is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Paul says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. So the Corinthian church, they were having some issues that they needed to to forgive someone and kind of move on, so he's encouraging them to do that. But then he says, why? In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his what? His schemes. He's scheming. He has plans, he has strategies and tactics that he employs to destroy God's people. And in Ephesians 6.11, which is a powerful passage of scripture that we'll actually refer to multiple times in this series, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The word schemes could be translated as strategies. These are his methods that he wants to employ. Like a general, he knows which strategies might work in which situation and with which which person. And he's smart. So Paul is saying, hey, we don't want to be outwitted. We need to be prepared and ready for a scheme. And in order to do that, I think we need to understand how he works a little bit better. And that's what this series is about. To prepare for it, to be ready for it, so that when the attacks come, and they will, whether you recognize them or not, we are prepared for battle so that we can win. 
because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus has already conquered Satan. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And if we learn how to employ what Jesus and God tells us in his word, then we'll be ready for that. And I think as you saw in the video at the beginning of this message, Sun Tzu, the great general, once wrote, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. So we wanna know the enemy a little bit better. We wanna know ourselves a little bit better. That's what this series is gonna be about. So that we're prepared and we can win every single time we fight. Every single time. And I, I think that's important. I think that's what the Denver Nuggets did. Okay, did you notice this? Okay, before any playoff series, they were studying the tape of the opponent, right? They were figuring out what moves the Minnesota Timberwolves were gonna do, right? They were trying to figure out what the, how the Suns would respond to their attacks underneath the baskets. They probably even studied some tape on LeBron James and the Lake Show, though they didn't really probably need to this year. And then they studied the Miami Heat. So then when they faced them, they knew how to win and they won, didn't they? Yeah, go Nuggets. We wanna do the same thing. If a good competitor studies their opponents so that they might win, why aren't we doing that? Because this isn't just a game. This is our lives. Eternity could hang in the balance. So we better understand our enemy so that he might not outwit us. So that's why for the next four weeks, we're gonna study Satan's schemes. And in four weeks, you're, you're thinking, you might be like, wow, that's a lot. But actually, we could go a lot longer than that. We're, we're really just summarizing the four main ways that Satan uh, attacks us and, and his strategies. We're not going to be able to cover everything. This is not exhaustive. But what we are going to learn this series is one that Satan deceives. That's what we're learning today. He deceives. Next week, we're going to see how Satan distorts. Then the week after that, we're going to learn how Satan devours. And finally, we're going to see how Satan divides. We're gonna look at each one of those in turn. So what I wanna challenge you guys to do is to commit to this entire series. It's four weeks. You guys can commit to that. So I want you to, to go on YouTube, go on your podcast and subscribe to your favorite show, the Rise Church Denver Weekly Messages, right? Okay, you guys are doing that for your other shows. Subscribe to this show because I know some of you are traveling. Even right now, some of you are watching from your tent. Happy Father's Day. I'm glad you're joining us from the mountain. But I want you to commit to this series. And, and some of you are like, well, Matt, I don't even know about this devil guy. That seems crazy. I don't think that, that applies anymore today. Like, I think that's just old myth. Still commit to this series. Keep an open mind, right? You at least want to learn what us crazy Christians believe. <laughs> um, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to commit to this series for four weeks. Or if this is your first Sunday, commit for four weeks. Because we're going to learn these schemes. And this first one that we are going to tackle is that Satan is the deceiver. And he wants to deceive us. So we're going to look at John chapter 8, verse 44. This is going to be our main passage from which we springboard the rest of the message. Um, and we are going to jump around a lot in the scripture. So if you have your phone and you have the YouVersion Bible app, find our Rice Church Denver event under the more at the bottom right-hand corner of your um, phone. And you'll save the scriptures there. You'll, you can save notes right on your phone. And you can even see the links to the resources that I'd recommend if you want to dig deeper on this subject without obsessing. But in John 8, 44, Jesus is speaking to a group of Jews. Jesus was a Jew and there were some that believed in him, but some didn't. In fact, some wanted to kill them. So to those Jewish leaders, Jesus is speaking here in John 8, 44. 
He says to them, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's who Satan is. Jesus, who probably knows better than all of us, gives very much clarity to who Satan is and how he operates. He's a liar. The truth is not found in him. Nothing he says is the full truth. It's his native language. That's how Satan is. And um, if you've already noticed in this series, you've seen the, the name Satan, you've seen the devil, and these refer to the same entity. In fact, if you read throughout the Bible, Satan has some 52 different names or titles that are given to him in the scriptures. 52, that's one for every week of the year. That's great, right? <laughs> you can study one a week, right? But he operates in a lot of different ways because he is sinister. He is an evil, powerful, smart, conniving person, a supernatural being. And we learn quite a bit about him because Satan, the devil, those are maybe the two, two words we see the most often in the scriptures, that they're talking about the same person. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it makes this abundantly clear. Where it says, the great dragon, another name for Satan, was thrown down. That ancient serpent, yes, he was the serpent at the beginning in the garden. The deceiver of the whole world, there's that title, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. This may be Satan's origin story. So if you're you know, reading the comic book, this is Satan, the origins, right? Okay. That he was thrown out of heaven. He was a supernatural being created by God, an angel, perhaps an archangel, cast down, and a lot of the angels went with him. We call them demons. They're supernatural beings that we cannot see, but they have supernatural power in this world. And in, in case you're wondering, that Satan is still alive and active in our world today. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 3, Paul says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So you too can be deceived. You are not smarter than Satan. You can be deceived. And he wants to deceive you. And look what it says, your thoughts will be led astray. Now, people wonder how this happens. Okay, Satan does not look like a goat. He does not have horns on his head. He does not wear nice little red tights and have a pitchfork. Okay, that is medieval art mixed with cartoons. It's not in the Bible. And yet C.S. Lewis warns us that that is probably one of the tactics Satan uses. Because if you think he's silly, and funny looking, you're not going to believe that he's real and can destroy you. But he is real. So we need to be aware that he can attack our thoughts. He can attack our thoughts. Now, it's hard to explain how this happens, but I heard an analogy that, that I think helped me the most, and it was related to a piano. Now, if you look in this piano and because it's all tied up with cords, they won't let me show it. But inside a piano, behind every key are like three strings. There's three strings for a piano. And to tune a piano, you tune the strings all to the same frequency, that pitch. But what's interesting is it's not just when you play the note with the key, but if you hum the note, mm, the string will resonate 
it will vibrate if you are at the same frequency as the string. You guys tracking with me? You hum a different frequency, you get another key, and the strings start to wobble. You can actually visibly see this when you look at the strings on a piano. And I think that's how Satan operates. He whispers, he speaks, and then something inside of us vibrates. Sometimes you hear a voice and you're like, that's ridiculous. He didn't find the right frequency. But sometimes you don't even know the difference between his voice and your own. Because it's in there. The enemy's there. So every single one of us has probably had Satan or one of his demons speak into our thoughts. And that's why we need to understand his schemes because he lies all the time. He's a deceiver. And what we're gonna see today is he does this lying in some pretty crafty ways. He's been about it for a few thousand years. And we're gonna see three different ways that he deceives us. And already you might've had the fourth was he just outright lies, okay? He does outright lie, that's his native tongue. But there are three more crafty ways that Satan deceives us. And the first one is that he gives us half-truths. Satan is the master of giving the half-truths. And maybe you remember what your mom said when you were younger. Okay, a half-truth is a whole lie. Satan loves to use half-truths because they kind of sound right. We see this most clearly in the very first time Satan shows up in the scriptures as a serpent in the Garden of Eden. When God created the world, it was perfect. There was no sin. There was no evil. Men and women had it perfect in the garden. They had everything they needed, and God gave them one command. You can eat from any tree, as we see in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. I want to show you the scripture so you can get the exact wording that God says. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. He gave human beings the freedom to make a decision, the freedom of the will, freedom of the choice to decide, are you gonna be, obey and have everything you could ever need for eternity? Or, or will you choose to do that? Don't do that. He said, don't do the one thing because you'll have some major consequences. You will certainly die. Don't eat from that one tree. But then along comes the serpent in the beginning of chapter three of Genesis verse one. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. He's the craftiest. He's the, the most cunning of all the creatures that God has created. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Do you, do you notice what's happening here? Okay, first off, he comes with that question. Did God really say that? That's a question Satan uses all the time to trip people up. You're like, I don't know. I haven't read the whole book. Did God really say that? I don't I don't remember where that is. Maybe I could look it up in Google. Okay, did God really say, okay? But then he says to not eat from any tree in the garden. Do you see how he exaggerates? God didn't say don't eat from any tree. He said don't eat from one tree. You can eat from all the rest. But Satan is already slipping this half truth in there. So God said something, but he changes one word to kind of catch the woman off guard. See that first half truth there? But then in verse two, we see a couple more half-truths. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Good job, Eve. And you must not touch it or you will die. Did God say that? Did, he, did God say don't touch the fruit? No, he said don't eat the fruit. 
She's already kind of mixing it up. That's what a lot of people do. This is what religious people do. They like to create extra rules around the one rule that God has given. Okay, it's not just, uh, you know, make the Sabbath day holy, but you can't do anything on the Sabbath, you know, don't even walk too far around your house, okay? We put extra rules around these things. This is what religious people do all the time. In the very beginning, Eve's like, well, he said don't touch it. But God didn't say that. He, he, God would have been fine. He's like, yeah, you can pick, pick the fruit. You can squeeze it, get some juice on your hands, whatever you want. He didn't care. He just said, don't eat it. And Satan just preys on that. In verse three, if we can look at the next one, the serpent says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. You will not certainly die. So here's a couple half-truths buried in this, right? Because the serpent is right, Satan is right, in that if you touch it, you're not gonna die. God never said that. So the serpent already had a little cunning in there. That's a half-truth, right? It's true. So Eve could have grabbed the fruit and be like, wow, maybe this serpent is telling the truth. I touched it and I didn't die. It's a half-truth. But there's another half-truth in there because God didn't say you would die immediately, did he? He said you will surely die. It's coming. So she could even bite into it and think, oh, I haven't experienced the consequences. I guess Satan is telling the truth because he was telling a half-truth. Do you see that? And that's a half-truth that a lot of people are deceived by. Because they think, well, hey, I had this little sexual escapade and my life didn't fall apart. I must be okay. Because you haven't experienced the consequences yet. But they're coming. That's a lie that often deceives us because it's a half-truth. It's partially true. We're like, oh yeah, I didn't get the consequences right away. I guess I'm okay. But Satan goes on and gives another half-truth in verse five. He says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's something that's interesting. What Satan says is half-true. If they ate from the tree, they would be like God. But do you know what the lie is? They were already like God. Of all the things that God had created, there was only one, even among the angels, there's only one creature that was like God made in his image, human beings. It's Genesis chapter one. That's why we're different than every other creature, even the angels. We are made in his image that we can rule the earth and subdue it because we represent who God is. They were already like God. Whether they ate the fruit or didn't, they were still like God. What a lie buried in a half-truth. So Satan does. He gives half-truths. So there's going to be half-truths that will deceive you. You'll say, well, hey, it was just an online relationship. It didn't count. Sure, it was online, but it counts. There will be all sorts of ways. You'll say, well, hey, it's just physical. You know, it didn't really mean anything. Sure, it's physical. But we are physical beings with a soul. Even if it's just physical, it impacts our soul, what we do with our bodies. These half-truths Satan uses to deceive us and to eventually destroy us. So beware his schemes. That's the first one, half-truths. The second one is even craftier. Bad interpretations of the truth. Bad interpretations of the truth. Sometimes he'll give us the full truth, but then give us this interpretation that's a complete lie. 
One of the most obvious examples of this comes in Matthew chapter four when Jesus is being tempted by Satan himself. Before Jesus ever started his public ministry, he went to fast for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. And yes, that means not eating, okay? And then Satan comes to tempt him. If Satan came to tempt me after like two days of not eating, I'd be like, I'll do whatever you want, just give me the Snickers, right? Okay, (laughs) pray for me, right? Okay, but Jesus did that. And after 40 days of being hungry, Satan comes himself to tempt Jesus. And one of the temptations he takes... Um, the devil, it says in in verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. So he's there in Jerusalem, the highest peak of the temple. And Satan says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. And then he quotes the Bible. He, God, will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That's in the scriptures, that's in the Psalms. That God has angels to command concerning us. They can protect us even from a fall so we will not get hurt. Here's something fascinating for you guys. Satan knows the scriptures. He knows the Bible probably better than you do. The demons have better doctrine than you do. And they will quote it, chapter and verse. That's a whole truth, right? Yeah, but it's a misinterpretation of the truth. Because if you quote one verse and don't understand the context, or another verse of scripture that fits within it so that you can have the full picture of what God has said, it's a misinterpretation of the truth. Because Jesus responds, it says, Jesus answered him in verse seven, it is also written, it is also written, do you see that? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, Jesus knew the Bible backwards and forwards. He'd studied it, he'd learned it, he'd memorized it, and he knew that those two verses are not contradictory. They fit together. Yes, there are angels that can protect us and save our lives, but we should never put the Lord our God to our test. God might just let you fall down flat on your face. Why'd you jump off a building? Okay, Jesus understood this. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. And there's so many times that that happens to us today that there's one verse, and it is possible to take one verse and teach all sorts of crazy nonsense because it's out of context. Or it doesn't fit with the rest of what God says in his word. So we have to be smarter. Sometimes Satan will use the Bible itself against us. But it's part of the truth because it's not the whole truth, right? It's a misinterpretation of that truth. So I wanna tell you, We've got to read the Bible, especially the words of Jesus. Jesus speaks so clearly that there is a Satan who opposes us. That there is a heaven and a hell, which is the eternal fate of every single person. Jesus makes that clear. And that there is only one way to eternal life, and it's through him. Jesus is very clear that marriage is between one man and one woman. And yet still people try to misinterpret that. Satan deceives us with misinterpretations of the truth. And what's even worse is that often Satan hides the truth from us. And that's the third thing. This is what Satan does. He hides the truth from our hearts and our minds, hiding the truth. There's a couple different ways Satan does this. The first one is in Luke chapter eight. Jesus tells this parable of a farmer going out to sow seed. So I'll pick it up in verse five. It says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. 
And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. So in the parable, the farmer goes on to sow in different types of soils as well. And what's interesting is that this is one of the only parables Jesus explains to us what it means. And in verse 12, he he makes it very clear. He says, those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes, the birds, the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. When the word of God is taught and proclaimed, Satan wants to snatch that up. Demons go to church and they want you to hear the word and not believe it. And it seems like nowadays, the devil doesn't even have to work very hard. He'll distract you with your smartphone. He'll distract you because you're like, oh, what are we doing for lunch later? Forget every word I just said. You'll get back into your car and you'll feel convicted. Maybe you're in here and then you'll leave out there and you're like, okay, now it's back to the real world. Satan just snatched that up. The seed is gone. Or maybe you'll get God's word on your phone. I talked to someone this week and they're like, yeah, I get a lot of my Bible from, or no, they said all of my Bible from Instagram stories. I was like, ooh. Okay, that, that, I mean, there's truth there, right? There's a seed of God's word. But then you flip to the next story and then it's like, oh, that puppy's cute. And you just forgot God's word. Seed snatched. We are so easily distracted. Satan is just coming and and devouring us and hiding the truth from our eyes just by distracting us from it. And and it gets even worse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, the God of this age, that's Satan. That means he has a lot of power in the time we're living in, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan has blinded people so they can't even see it. I know this because Jesus has changed my life. He is incredible. He is the light of the sun. He has transformed everything about me in my life. And yet sometimes I tell people and they just have a blank stare on their face. They're like, that's good for you, but it's not really my thing. Like, did you just hear what I said? The glory of God came down to earth to to love us and die for us. And they don't get it because their eyes have been blinded by Satan and they don't even know it. Even as I'm talking right now, some of you are like, this guy is crazy. Maybe your eyes are just blind. I'm colorblind. I'm colorblind. I I have bought t-shirts thinking that they were blue and had them for years to find out later that they were purple. Okay, I'm colorblind. And I didn't know it for years. This is the craziest thing. I was dating a girl in high school and she had one of those colorblind tests and she showed it to me. And I was like, what is this, like a magic eye? Like, there's no numbers in there. Like, this is a really hard, hard game that you've given me. Like trying to find the numbers. Do you know what I'm talking about if you've done these tests? And she's like, I think you're colorblind. I'm like, nah. And then I went to the eye doctor because I had actually taken that test before two years earlier. And when the eye doctor gave it to me, I'm like, man, this is a really hard test that you're giving me. Like I can see the dots all around over here when they're floating around, but this book, like, where are the numbers? Like, this is a tricky thing. So I asked the eye doctor the next time I went in there, I was like, am I colorblind? And she's like, of course, yeah, it was in your chart from two years ago. I was like, why didn't you tell me? Oh, we, we thought you already knew. But I didn't know. I didn't know I was colorblind. And in the same way, a lot of people don't realize that they are spiritually blind. 
that they don't understand that there are supernatural forces at work in the world, that there is a God of the universe who loves them, who sent his own son to die for them, and they don't see it, they don't hear it, they don't understand it, just passes over and they think, oh, what a weird little myth that those people believe. I don't wanna waste my time doing that church thing with all you fools. Maybe you're the blind one. Because Satan wants to hide the truth from you. And if you think, oh, you know, we're so intellectual now, we've studied more, we know more, think about this. In our nation's history, it wasn't that long ago where people thought it wasn't just okay but good to enslave other human beings. They thought it was okay and good to be racist to people who had a different skin color than themselves. And they were blinded to see how evil that was. And if that was true not too long ago, what things are we blinded to today? Or you might be blind to. We all have the capacity to be completely deceived because Satan wants to hide the truth from us so that he might destroy us. So that he might destroy us. So Matt, where's the hope? I'm glad you asked. When Jesus was talking to those Jews who didn't believe and some of them wanted to kill him, right? In John chapter eight, Jesus says in verse 31, he says, if you hold to my teaching, if you follow me, if you believe in me, if you learn from me, you are really my disciples. And in verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, if you follow me, you will know the truth. Your eyes will be open and you'll begin to see things differently. He would go on to say that the Holy Spirit would live inside of you to lead you into all truth. To convict you in your hearts of the things that you're blinded to in your own life and in the world. And you'll grow in increasing truth. You'll be set free from the lies of the, the devil. And what's amazing is that Jesus didn't say you'll know the truth he goes on in, in chapter 14 to say, I am the truth. Jesus said, answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus said, I'm the truth. I'm the truth of all things. He never lied. He only exposed the lies of the darkness and of the enemy. He spoke the truth and he taught with authority. Peter says that no deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus was the truth of God incarnate. He came to us full of grace and truth. And he lived among us, loved us, and then died for us. And Jesus, though he was the truth, went on the cross and suffered and died. And it seemed like Satan had won, that he finally destroyed the truth. But the truth cannot die. Because on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering over sin, death, and the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and he did that, and he proclaimed the truth that if you believe in him, you can have eternal life and be set free into all truth. That's what we believe. So here's our big idea today. Remember this. Only the truth can free you from the enemy's deception. And I'm talking about the truth, Jesus himself. And until you know him and follow him and walk with him and walk in his ways and his spirit lives inside of you, you cannot leave the deception because we're all capable of being deceived. Small things and on huge things. But only Jesus can set us free into the truth because he is the truth.
In the passion, passage in Ephesians, which teaches us about spiritual warfare, we'll get to this even more. Paul says in Ephesians 6.11, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Like, don't be unaware. There is an enemy. He is attacking us. He has schemes. He has strategies. And then he describes the armor that we need to put on. And do you know what the very first thing of this armor is? Look at verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of what? Truth buckled around your waist. Start with the truth. And then the last thing, you pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, God's truth. The truth will not just be your first layer of defense. It will also be your offensive weapon, the only offensive weapon we have as Christians because the truth of Jesus Christ is here. And when we speak it, when we learn it, when we walk in it, we are set free into the truth forever and we will not be deceived by the enemy. So I wanna give you a prayer. I'm gonna challenge you with this prayer. Whether you agree with me, whether you believe in Jesus, whether you think I'm crazy or not, I dare you to pray this prayer. And it's this, Jesus, show me how I am being deceived and set me free in your truth, amen. Because all of us still have deceptions, maybe self-deceptions, lies that we're believing. And if you're like, I don't even believe in Jesus, well, what's the harm in praying it? What if you are being deceived and blinded right now? And what if your eyes can be opened to the truth, the glory of the gospel that is shown in Jesus Christ? So I wanna lead us in that prayer right now, if you're willing to do it, if you're willing to take me up on that dare, would you please close your eyes right now? And we're gonna say this prayer and then we'll do another prayer. Please repeat after me. Jesus, show me how I am being deceived and set me free in your truth. Amen. Now, some of you, even as you're praying this prayer, realize maybe Jesus is real. Maybe he is the truth and maybe I've been missing it. And I wanna tell you that Jesus loves you. He cares about you. He knows that you have sinned. You've not just been deceived, but you've deceived others. You've deceived yourselves and God still loves you. He forgives us even in our deception. And he wants to lead us into freedom and into all truth. So if that is resonating with your heart and you realize that you need that truth, you want eternal life and you wanna walk with Jesus, I wanna give you a simple prayer that you can repeat so that you can receive that gift and walk into all freedom. So please close your eyes. And if you're a follower of Jesus, repeat this prayer after me to give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me, forgive me. In faith I declare, Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me to follow you and walk into all truth. Now with eyes closed, if you said that prayer for the first time and meant it, if Jesus today for the first time is your Lord and Savior, we just wanna celebrate with you. We just wanna celebrate with you. So put your hand in the air on the count of three. One, two, three. Put your hand in the air if you made that decision today. If you're online, go to risedenver.com slash follow. And Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you set us free, that you lead us into all truth and help us to fight these spiritual battles that we face every single day, that we can be so deceived. Even when it's hard, help us let go of our old deceptions. None of us wanna give in and be deceived. We don't want fake news. We don't want any of that lies. We want the truth. Set us free, Jesus, set us free. We love you.
Amen. All right. Um, before we sing this last song together, um, it is our time of giving. So if God has spoken to your heart, if you wanna be a part of what he's doing, we ask that you'd give and give generously to Arise Church. If you're new, we just wanna get to know you. Go to risedenver.com slash new, fill out that form. And actually we give $5 to the Denver Rescue Mission to help somebody who's in homelessness right now um, in need. So please fill out that form right now. Uh, but if this is your church home, we'd ask that you give and give generously because your giving made possible our Bible school this last week. Did you know that? Your giving made it possible. We had uh, over 130, I think it was 135 kids come in total over the last week. That's awesome, guys. We had over 40 volunteers give their time. We had at least five kids make a first time decision to follow Jesus. And, and one, one, uh, there was one little boy, um, he cried every afternoon because he didn't wanna leave. <laughs> Loved it so much, loved Bible school. And I love hearing that story from a volunteer. And then um, we had another amazing donor in our church pay for all the kids to take home a Bible at the end of the week. Isn't that cool? And I wanna show you this photo. Somebody at first service sent me, sent me this photo because their kid got the Bible and immediately opened it up on the bike ride at leaving church, had to read his Bible. Isn't that amazing? Don't you love that photo? Um, so your giving makes that kind of thing possible. So we'd ask that you'd give and give generously to invest in the next generation. Now's the time to do it. You can give at arisedenver.com slash give. You can drop your cash or checks in the white boxes on your way out of the auditorium. And then let's pray and then we're gonna worship together. Um, Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you gave us your son who was full of all grace, full of all truth to forgive us, to lead us into all truth. So we pray that you'd continue to do that, that we could live in the freedom that you have. And Lord God, use this money that we give right now to make that possible. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.